Well, hey, Crossroads. I want to give a big shout out to Hayward and Fremont. It's so good to see you. My name's Dwayne. I'm one of the pastors here. And I hope you'll look in your program and pull out your outline and follow along and take some notes. Uh, that little quiz we took is pretty silly, right? I think it's good to have a little laugh, though, before we talk about such a serious subject, something that gets a lot of people pretty easily worked up. And it seems like we want to label everybody and figure out what they believe and who they are so we can figure out if they're on our team or if we want to demonize them. And so we're going to be looking at this very uh, serious and important topic today. And you may not personally care a whole lot about politics. I try to stay out of politics uh, for the most part myself. But the truth is the Bible has a lot to say about leaders and governments and how we're to respond to that. And it's important that we look at this together. Now, I'm, I want to say up front, I'm very proud of our church. We're building a family that follows God as our Father. We're learning to love one another and how to share that love with others and with the world. And we're doing our best to understand how the Bible tells us to live. We're doing our best to try to figure out how to obey the Word of God. And we deal with real-life issues here. We don't try to avoid them. I mean, over these last uh, few weeks, we've talked about some touchy subjects. We've tried to look at it from, with God's perspective and with love. And uh, like any, anything that can be a little controversial, some of us are going to have some different opinions, and that's okay. But what's not okay is when, we're not, when we don't uh, treat each other with love. That's what God cares about, that ultimately it, we care how we love each other. We can disagree, we can talk about our differences, but we need to love each other. And I think uh, those of you who've been around as long as me, I've been around a while now, I, I think it's pretty safe to say we're living in one of the most divided times in recent American history. And we can all feel the tension. After the last presidential election, 100% of Americans thought 50% of the country had lost their minds. Every, it didn't matter which side you were on, you thought the other side was crazy, right? And from cable news to social media to awkward dinners with extended family, it feels like we're surrounded by a lot of anger and political infighting and judgment. And I think uh, many of us are just sick and tired of it by now. Uh, today's partisanship has taken on a, a, like a harder edge, and it's driven by what uh, sociologists call identity politics. They say basically that people don't just identify with a political party or a political philosophy now, but it's become more and more tribal, and people are staking their identity in their political beliefs. And so they want to know who agrees with them because that, that they're in your tribe, and everybody else is the enemy, and we have to tear them down and make them look stupid and say why they're wrong. Uh, facts have become a lot less important for both parties these days. It, it doesn't seem to matter what the truth is. Everybody wants to get you to believe their side of the story. And it's gotten so hard to discuss our differences of opinions. And I just want you to know, I respect you. you. We all have different opinions. I respect your opinion. I hope you'll hear my heart and where I'm coming from. I want you to remind you that we're all made in the image of God. God gave you free will to choose what you will believe. And God made you free. And we live in a country where we're free to believe what we want to believe. You know, Monday is Memorial Day. That's what it should be a day when we all pause at least sometime during the day and reflect on all the men and women who've sacrificed their lives so that we can be free. And they've helped to keep our country together, to protect us. And they died for the United States of America. And they died so that you and I can be free to believe what we want, worship how we want, say what we want, but when we become so divided, when we become the divided states of America, I believe it dishonors what they gave their lives for. It's okay to disagree, but we shouldn't be tearing each other apart and tearing each other down. And you know what's even worse? 
It's even worse when we let our different views divide the body of Christ. You know, a recent survey found 57% of Protestant churchgoers under the age of 50 say they prefer to go to church with people who share their political views. I mean, that's kind of sad if you ask me. That's like saying, I'm not going to worship with half the country. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to worship with you. And, uh, and, and they, they went on to say few adult Protestant churchgoers say they attend church attend services with people of a different political persuasion. They tend to assume that everybody believes just like they do. And Jesus doesn't want us to live like that. And I find, you know, in in the world today, there's so many confusing issues. And a lot of times people want to say, WWJD, what would Jesus do? How would he deal with this situation? Or how would he deal with that situation? Well, I want to encourage you, when we're talking about politics, I think we need to say, WDJD, (laughs) what did Jesus do? Okay, what did he do? Because he dealt with some pretty sticky situations himself when it came to politics. One of the first things we see in the Bible, first thing there on your outline to write down, Jesus brought the polarized together. You know what what I mean when I say polarized? People who are like opposite ends of the spectrum. People who hate each other. They don't like each other. And when Jesus was born in in Judah, he, he lived during one of the most politically and religiously divisive times. He lived among a, a group of people, the Jews who worshiped God, but they had divided into so many different groups and they were competing for power within themselves. And then they were under the Roman government, which was very oppressive and, ta- and told them that they had to worship the emperor and all these other gods. And, and so the Jews and the Romans were always butting heads and it was a very political time. And as Jesus began to teach and he began his ministry, he had dozens and dozens of followers. And one night he, he went out, the Bible says he spent all night praying, and the next day he chose 12. He was going to choose, he couldn't, he couldn't pour into all of them as much as he, he wanted to really focus and really raise up the next group of leaders to, to multiply his ministry. And so he couldn't pour into hundreds of people, dozens and dozens, he chose 12. And it's real interesting here in uh, Luke, Luke tells us it was Simon whom he named Peter. His brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, I want to encourage you to circle two of those names. Circle Matthew and circle Simon, who was called the Zealot. Just circle Simon. And uh, it's amazing. It's amazing that Jesus would select a man like Simon to be an apostle. Simon was a zealot, and the zealot movement was absolutely opposed to the Roman occupation. They were willing to kill to drive them out. Depending on your point of view, the zealots were either freedom fighters or terrorists. I don't know. You take your pick, whichever view you had. And so Simon the zealot was somebody who was very uh, fierce and passionate about his political beliefs. He was willing to die for them. But something about Jesus attracted him, and Jesus called this man to begin to follow him. And he was a man of fierce loyalties, amazing passage, passion, courage, and zeal. And he fell in love with Jesus. And uh, as he followed Christ, tradition tells us that he, he went and preached after Jesus went back to heaven. He went to the west coast of Africa and England, where he ended up being crucified in 74 AD. He was killed for his faith. So, man, Jesus... Jesus picked somebody that was going to get him in trouble with the authorities. And on the opposite end of the political spectrum was Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a collaborator. He was somebody who was collecting money that helped the Roman government do their stuff. And uh, he was one of the most despised group of people in all of Israel. 
not only did they take money to help the, the hated Roman government, the oppressors, but they would take extra money and line their own pockets. They would rip off their own people. But Matthew fell in love with Jesus, and later he brought the gospel to Ethiopia and Egypt, where uh, the king had him killed with a spear. Now think about this. Two guys, it couldn't have been much more. One guy, he's, he, he's working for the government and prof, profiting from the Romans, and the other guy wants to bring him down. And Jesus said, hey, I'm going to get 12 guys together. It's like going to Thanksgiving dinner with your far right-wing uncle and your left-wing aunt, right? It's like getting together with somebody who couldn't be more opposite. Pastor Wayne Cordero, he said for an airplane to fly, it needs a left wing and a right wing. <laughs> I thought that's kind of funny. Because if you think about it, you know, neither political party has all the answers. Neither political party stands for every value that the Bible upholds. I, I personally just, you know, I don't, I'm not real very political myself, and I'm registered independent. I lean more conservative, but man, I don't agree with everything on one side or, or the other. Both sides frustrate me, and I'll just be honest. Jesus brought these guys together, and I think it, I think it tells us that they're on purpose just for such a time as this, so we know it's possible for two people who totally disagree with each other to be united in Christ. I think Jesus was very intentional in choosing these two men. Second thing I want you to know about what did Jesus do, and I didn't know quite how to word this. It's probably sort of heretical how I said it. I don't know. Jesus kept God first under human government. So it was like this tension. You know, uh, it's sort of both true. He tells them to obey the government and, and respect them and honor them, but there's certain times you, you obey God, not the government. So it's sort of like there's this tension there. And again, Jesus lived in this world where everybody, all the people in power and authority, they had a political agenda, but he didn't align himself with anyone. You know, the people around him, they believed Rome, most of them believed Rome was the real enemy, but he said the real enemy was, was our sin. You know, we're really our, our own worst enemies. People were longing for a military deliverer to save them from Rome, but he had a different agenda, and it was to save us from ourselves, from our sin. One time, you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? And the people were so, so happy and excited and impressed, they tried to seize Jesus and say, we're going to make you our king. But Jesus didn't want anything to do with that. He wasn't here to set up a, a kingdom on earth. And it says he, he slipped away from them. And he had a good reason to remain apart from politics. The message he preached was about a government, the kingdom of God, but it wasn't an earthly government. It was about God reigning in our hearts, bringing God's presence to reign in our hearts. And the Bible tells us one day Jesus will come back to when he returns to judge the earth, then he will rule, whether it's this earth, a new earth, what exactly that means, I don't know. But he's going to come back and he's going to rule. And, and he stayed out of the political stuff that was going on. He posed such a great threat to people in authority. People just rallied around Jesus. They were attracted to him. They loved him. People were threatened by him. You know, the, the, the one group that Jesus spoke against over and over and over again was the religious leaders who were hypocrites, and he would, he would pound on them. And so they were upset because they were going to lose their power and authority. But as these, all these people began to follow Jesus, it also made some of the people who, who supported Rome nervous. He was, he was so influential that uh, some of his, some people who were enemies, two groups of people, the Herodians who, who supported Rome and the Pharisees who didn't really want anything to do with Rome, they got together and they said, we got to do something about this guy. And so they decided they were going to trap him. And so they came to Jesus and they said, is it lawful to pay your taxes? 
It's a good question, right? <laughs> I mean, that's like a no-win question. Because if you say no, then the Romans are going to come crush you, right? And if you say yes, then all the people who hate the Romans are going to be mad at you. He loses popularity. And I mean, Jesus always knew what to say. I, sometimes I wish, I always seem to say the wrong thing. He knew what to say, right? He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Now, I want you to underline a phrase, give to God what belongs to God, because sometimes we overlook that last part. <laughs> First, he says, yeah, you, he said, bring me a coin. Whose picture is on it? Oh, it's a picture of the emperor. Oh, well, I guess that belongs to him. Pay your taxes. He said, support your government. But then he said, give to God what belongs to him. And you know, one of the things that Caesar demanded was that his subjects would worship him as God. And that really upset the Jews because they, the Bible says we're only to worship God. He's the only God. And so the Jews and the Romans, there, were always, there was always this tension between them. And Jesus said, give to God what is God. You don't, so Jesus is kind of saying, there's, there's some things you don't obey. God has, God has the supremacy in certain areas of your life. Our uh, earthly authority is limited. So there's kind of this tension. I don't know quite how to explain it well. I hope that's making sense. Later, when Jesus was on trial... Oh, you know, speaking of paying taxes, <laughs> yesterday I, I bought a car from a friend, a used car, and you know, you have to, you can go down to the AAA and register with the, D, it saves you a lot of time at the DMV. So the guy asked me, you know, fill out the paperwork, and he said, oh, you bought this from a friend. We were talking, he goes, well, you and your friend should have worked it out, and you should have said it was a gift. You should have wrote down zero. And then you was saved, you know, I was saved a few hundred dollars of tax, you know, the tax on the sale. And I don't want to say anything, you know, be real confrontational, but I was like, well, that's wrong. You know, Jesus said, give to Caesar. I mean, if that's a law, that's money that's supposed to help, supposed to help fix the potholes in the roads, right? <laughs> then I would be cheating if I didn't pay it. So I didn't, you know, I just didn't get into it with him. But I was like, man, wow. You know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So when Jesus was on trial, when the Jewish leaders, who had a lot of influence and power, they falsely accused him. They brought him to the Roman governor of Judah. They brought him to Pontius Pilate. And, uh, they, you know, Pilate didn't really understand Jesus. He was trying to figure out who he was and what he was about, kind of like taking the quiz. And he said, well, are you a king? They say you're a king. And Jesus said this, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. Jesus said, my, my kingdom is not about ruling this earth now. It's about ruling in people's hearts. It's not about taking over and forcing people to obey and do stuff. It's about appealing to people to respond to God and his love and to turn from their sin. Jesus didn't come to make this world a better place through government. He came to change our hearts to make it a better place. And so he summons us to a radical and exclusive commitment to him as our king. So he wants us to live um, as good citizens in our countries where we live, but ultimately he's our ultimate authority. And the reality is there's no perfect political system. Every political system is infected by sin. People get power and it just tends to corrupt them. And even good people who want to be leading and helping and doing the right thing, it's hard to get elected without giving in to some people with money and influence and power, right? It's hard. And the politics of today will not solve our most persistent problems. And it's hard for us to accept, but everything in this world is not going to be made right until Jesus comes back. And Jesus said, I'm not here to fix, I mean, I got to deal with some more serious problems. It's not fixing the outside and passing laws and I mean, politics. It, 
Politics is important, and we should know what's going on, and we should vote our consciences. But he said what's more important is our hearts, and that's what he came to fix. And so we see that he didn't, he didn't try to become a political leader here on earth. And the third thing Jesus did is he commissioned us to change hearts, not governments. He commissioned us to be about what he was about. He commissioned us, our first priority. You know, when he's getting ready to go back to heaven after he'd been crucified and resurrected, he spent a few weeks with his disciples. He called them all together. He said, now that God, my Father's going to send the Holy Spirit, here's what I want you to do. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, therefore, go and make sure you put the right party in power in all the nations. He said, go and make disciples, make followers of Jesus in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You know, some, some Christians out of a right heart spend an awful lot of time and energy trying to change the political systems here. And some of those people that spend a lot of that time and energy don't spend a lot of time and energy talking about Jesus to people. And we get, we kind of get our, we get distracted. We're looking at the wrong solution. If we really want to make the world a better place, it's going to be through telling people about Jesus and living out his love and helping people fall in love with Jesus. When Paul was arrested and he was on trial before King Festus, uh, before Felix and Festus, they were a couple of little kings under Caesar and, and Agrippa, he didn't try to tell them how all their laws were wrong and what they should fix and do. He tried to get them to be followers of Christ. He went, he's there on trial, and he's witnessing to them about Jesus. So this is what Jesus did. Now, how do we, how do we take this today and use it in this world that's so divided? How do we take, how can we be people who are peacemakers uh, in the midst of all this divisiveness? How can we, can we almost be like, we're going to watch a little video here in a second that, that um, there's a fellow, they're getting together for Thanksgiving, and he's, his whole purpose is trying to put out all these fires. And uh, in this video, one politician's going to be mentioned. It doesn't matter. It, it's, we're, it's, it's not an agenda on our part, okay? Whatever politician, somebody's going to be upset right now, whether it's one side or the other, okay? So, so just get the heart of this video, because then we're going to talk about how we can go about doing what Jesus has called us to do. So watch this with me. Thanks again for inviting me to Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, of course. Nobody should be alone on Thanksgiving. I'll introduce you to everybody. This is Uncle Dante, his wife, Aunt Tiffany, hey. Grandma, and Granddad. Great meeting all of you guys. You have a lovely home. Raph's told me, what are you doing? There's going to be a lot of landmines in these conversations, and I'm going to defuse them. So, where's my favorite granddaughter? She's at her boyfriend's this Thanksgiving, Mom. No child of mine would ever get away with that. I know you're not saying that we're bad parents. Is that what your mama trying to say? You're trying to say that we're bad parents? You see how your son turned out? How was Sunday mass, Grandma? Mass was wonderful. Did anybody hear that beep? We should all go as a family next week. Oh, we prefer not to support an organization that covers sexual abuse. <laughs> How about some football? You know, I still have all the newspaper clippings of Dante when he played in high school. Isn't that sweet? There's that beep again. I think I heard it that time. Why is that boy kneeling during the national anthem? He's protesting. I don't care what the reason is. 
he should not be protesting his country's national anthem. He's not protesting the national anthem. He is protesting inequality. What is this? You do not desecrate the flag and the national anthem. That's just a total lack of respect. Oh no. This is why we need to make America great again. Trump! Oh, Mama! I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but I can. I will tell you a story in a few minutes. How can we be people who defuse bombs, whether it's Trump or Clinton, whoever it is that just gets people upset and mad? How can we be people who defuse bombs? What does God want us to do? The first thing is you have to guard your heart, and you have to avoid partisan poison. You've got to guard your heart. Again, I mentioned this, this idea of these identity politics where people are so wrapped up in their people who agree with them and these beliefs, and they think this is going to fix the world, and they get so angry. And it becomes what people focus on as the answer to all our problems. And, and it's important to know what's going on in the world, to keep up with the news, but you need to be really careful who you're listening to, consider the source, and how long you're listening to them. You need to know what's going on. But I'm just going to tell you from personal experience, my parents are on one side of the political spectrum, and my wife's parents are on the other. All right? So one set of parents, they have CNN on all day, all the commentators, and all it is is, you know, oh, this, this that, and the other. Just listen to it all day long. The other set of parents, they have on Fox News all day long. And you know what? You know what's funny? My wife and I are both kind of in the middle. Mod we're kind of moderate politically. But you know what's kind of funny? They, they both get the same result. One listens to CNN. One listens to Fox for hours on a day. You know what they have in common? All four of them are mad all the time. They're mad. They're mad about what's going on in the world. They're mad, they're mad about stuff... Somebody's giving them their opinion with their slant and their spin, and they can't fix it. They can't do anything about it, but I'll tell you what, they're mad. They're mad, and we've had to draw some boundaries in my family. None of my brothers and sisters, none of my wife's brother and sister, we don't talk about politics with our parents. We don't, because they, they can't have a discussion. You've got to be careful. Or you, I mean, they're wonderful people, don't get me wrong, but if you start talking about any of the stuff going on in the world, sooner or later you're going to hear what they believe and how strongly they feel about it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they haven't guarded their... I said, Mom, why do you listen to this stuff all day? Well, you got to know what... I said, Mom, you know what's going on. <laughs> you're hearing a lot more. Can I just tell you a little secret? People on political talk radio and cable news, they've got an agenda. They're there to make money, and they want to stir you up, and they know if they appeal to one side or the other, they can sell more ads for more money. How can they get you to listen? They got to get you upset. They got to get you finding out more, and they're not always telling the truth. They're just stirring the pot. I want to say some of us need to turn off the TV or talk radio after we figure out what's going on, listen to something simple like a short synopsis of news, and then turn it off. And spend all that time listening to some Christian music, some worship music, or a message, or, or something beside. I mean, it just poisons people. I've seen it. People are just mad and angry. Probably made some of you mad right now. I'm sorry, but I'm just, I'm just being honest. God wants you to guard your heart. Paul said this, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right 
and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Well, let's be honest. There's a lot of problems in the world. There's a lot of bad people on both, in both parties. We can, we can just, man, I don't need to hear about it all day long, okay? So that's number one. Number two, okay, this is where I'm preaching to myself. Number two, obey and pray for our leaders. I, I don't think I pray enough for our leaders. I'm, I, I, I don't talk about politics enough, but I mean, I'm not that into politics, but I probably do complain about my leaders more than I pray for them. So I'm just being honest, all right? So the Bible has a lot to say about how we're to respond to our government. So in Romans, it says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will bring judgment on themselves. So what does that mean to be subject? Basically means to obey. There's no example in the Bible of Jesus or any of his followers trying to overthrow the government or change the government or get in another political party. They're always in trouble because they're talking about Jesus. And, and the Bible teaches us that, that it's good for us to have authorities that are supposed to bring order and um, help protect us and take care of us. But all of our leaders, just like you and me, they're sinners. And so they're not going to be perfect. And as Jesus said, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. There are times when we practice what's called civil disobedience. There's even times where we, our country, may, may go to war against another country. Like, for example, I'm thinking about Hitler and, you know, the killing all the Jews. Sometimes we go to war for the sake of protecting someone who's powerless or defenseless. We should have gone sooner, actually. But in the Bible, we, we do see a story one time, uh, Peter and the other disciples, Jesus is gone. They're preaching, and uh, the religious leaders, they had some power uh, under the Roman government, the Jewish religious leaders. They brought him in, and they said, don't teach about this guy again, or we're going to whip you and throw you in prison and kill you. And a few days later, they catch him doing it again. And they bring him in, and, and they said, why didn't you obey us? We're going to have to punish you. And here's what they said, we must obey God rather than human beings. So sometimes it's a little confusing because we're supposed to be subject to the government, but sometimes we have to disobey for the greater good. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a little bit of a tension there. Now, one of my heroes, I think of Martin Luther King Jr., who, who he led peaceful protests against ungodly laws and culture. He disobeyed the laws and led people because he was doing that for the good of everyone. So sometimes you stand up, but he wasn't trying to overthrow the government. He was trying to advocate for what was right. Now, Paul said this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Can you underline that phrase? Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. So that's one where I have to, you know, work on. I'm working on in my life. Every time I catch myself being frustrated with somebody in power this week. I prayed for him. I wanted to tell some jokes, some political jokes, but they all make somebody look bad. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can't, can't, guess I can't do that. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I like to laugh and have fun. So pay your taxes, pick your candidate, and cast your vote, but do so respectfully out of obedience to God. But if you're mocking your govern, governing leaders on Facebook, I'm, I've had to unfollow some people. Their, their political stuff is so 
harsh. If you're mocking your governor, lead, governing leaders, and the Holy Spirit is grieved, and we should spend more time praying for our leaders than we spend complaining about. And we don't show them honor. It's okay to talk about situations and things you disagree with, but when we gossip about them and we start tearing them down and demonizing them, then we're crossing a line, and I think we're entering into sin. And you might be saying to yourself, well, you know, I have the right under the First Amendment to freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want. Well, that's true. You can. But remember, you're not a citizen of the United States first. You're a citizen of heaven. And the Bible has some things to say about our mouth and our tongue. We've done talks on that. Under, under the kingdom of heaven, we don't have freedom of speech. There's some things we shouldn't say, some attitudes we shouldn't express. Okay, I've got to move on. Three, put your trust and hope in God, not man. Yes, we, we should get involved in certain situations, but don't, don't put your hope in men that they're going to fix this world's problems, that they're going to make things better. Man, human beings have been on this planet a long time, and we haven't gotten it right yet. <laughs> Do what you can to make changes, but don't get your hopes up. The Bible says over and over what it says, tells us in Psalm 118, it is better to trust in the Lord than to depend on human leaders. And just remember, every human leader, no matter how great you think they are, no matter how much you love them, every human leader is a sinner just like you and me. And they have blind spots. And when you start getting power, you have bigger temptations than you and I have. And you, you have all this pressure on you. And they're going to let you down. And the Bible wants you to trust in God, that he's in control. Trust in his goodness. In Daniel, it says, God, the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. The Bible even says sometimes in the Old Testament, God gave them some bad kings because they'd been bad people and he gave them what they deserved. So I don't know what that tells you about the United States. Maybe we're getting what we deserve. I don't know. I've heard people say that Bush or Obama, Trump or Clinton, whoever is the president, they're going to bring down America. They're ruining America. Well, let me just say that whatever happens, we have free will, but whatever happens, God allows it to happen. So as long as God wants us to be the United States of America, we, and when he says it's, our time's done, and somebody, I, God's in control. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't put your hope and trust in people. Don't get so worked up about human beings. Paul reminds us in Philippians, we are citizens of heaven. We're dual citizens, and our first citizenship, we're to honor and support and love our country, but our first priority is God's kingdom. Our number four, fight for unity. Fight for unity. Now, it, the translation is make every effort to keep the unity. And it goes on to say some things about that. And I like how the message, the message is not a translation, it's a paraphrase, but it kind of explains the next phrase. How do we do that? How do we keep the unity steadily, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences, and quick at mending fences? You know, we have a, one of the things I love about our church, we have a conflict resolution class this Sunday at 10 o'clock. If you want to come and take, how do we mend, I think it's this Sunday, you'll get an email about it. How do we, how do we mend this Saturday? Thank you. Next Saturday. June 1st. Is it June already? Oh my gosh. I got to finish before June. Okay. So Jesus told his disciples, the litmus test of true faith is your love. Not that you have all the knowledge, or you got all your politics right, you got all your morality right. The test of true faith is your love. And if we can't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, how can we show love to the rest of God's hurting world? If we can't love each other here in spite of our differences, 
man, the world doesn't have a prayer. Unity in Christ doesn't mean we're not going to disagree, we're not going to have differences, but it means we're going to still love each other even when we do disagree. A couple little sub-points. Instruct gently. Like when you're trying to get your point across to somebody, do it gently. Paul said in 2 Timothy, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Discussion, having a discussion is different than having an argument. You know the difference, right? I mean, it just, arguments when you're getting mad and, you know, you just, you're not listening anymore. You're not really talking. Most, most people that are passionate about politics, I don't talk to them because I can't have a discussion. It becomes an argument. How many things have you ever changed your mind on because somebody got mad at you and talked you into it? I haven't, that hasn't worked for me too many times. I don't, I don't get convinced too much by arguments. Paul said, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth. So pray for them, gently teach, leave the door open. You know, if as followers of Christ, we're not known for love, then shame on us. We can be known for being right and being angry and be not very attractive. You know, Mahatma Gandhi is probably one of the most influential people in the world, you know, in our last hundred years. And he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I mean, you know, he, he, he read the Bible. He talked to missionaries, but he saw how Christians, you know, treated other people sometimes. Then that leads to the next thing. Make allowances for others. Make allowances for others. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. That's a great passage in Romans 14 if you read through that. But man, Jesus just, you know, you know there's certain things. If somebody stands up here and teaches, there's a few things. If somebody stood up in our church and taught, we wouldn't allow them to teach. But man, when somebody's got a different opinion about you, about other things, you know, especially in your groups or relationships, respectfully listen and encourage them and try to have a discussion, gently instruct. And the last thing, so important, stay on mission. Stay on mission. It's so easy for us to get caught up in politics in work, in raising our kid, all those things are important, but don't lose sight of your mission. Jesus commissioned us to go and make followers of Christ. That's why we're here as a church, to lead seekers to love Christ. Paul said, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And what he's saying is, don't get so wrapped up in other things that you're not doing what Jesus told you to do. Don't get so wrapped up in those things that you miss out on doing what he, what he said will change the world. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, we are Christ's ambassadors. We're like God's representative, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on God's, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Man, our whole mission as followers of Christ is to be bridge builders, to help point people to Christ, to help mend relationships between those people who have differences that have divided them, whether it's racially or sexually or politically or whatever it is. We're to be bridge builders. And God speaks through us to people. We say, be reconciled to Christ. Turn from your sin and turn back to God. 
You know, having a conversation with someone, accepting someone you disagree with doesn't mean you're rubber stamping and approving of their beliefs. They may be wrong, but you can still love them. And, you know, most people, even people we disagree with, you know, at, at our heart, we all want the same things. We, we, think, we think there's different solutions, but most of us want the world to be a better place, a safer place for us and our kids. We want to be able to earn a living and have fun and enjoy life. We want to be able to pursue our interests and worship and believe as we want. We want to find purpose and meaning and fulfillment. We may think there's different solutions to that, but don't demonize people who have got those different solutions. Try to find those things we all, deep down inside, we all long for. And ultimately, we all need a relationship with Christ. So in just a moment, you have a chance. This is the last week. We're wrapping up our series. Next week, when you come back, the bridge should be gone. Uh, I kind of liked having the bridge here, having this little safety barrier so I don't fall off. And, um, you know, the bridge, it's just, a, it's just what we were trying to say. How can, we, how can we have a way to respond to what we're talking about? And if you know that in this area of political, the bridge and the political divide, you need to do some work. Like for me, I need to pray more for politicians. So if you're making a commitment to do that, we're just saying in a moment after the offering uh, buckets come, you can come around clockwise from your left and you can walk over. You don't have to rush, but you can just come over and, you know, just kind of reflect as you're going across. Hey, I'm making a commitment and God, would you help me? If you don't want to walk across, that's okay. Or if you don't have any political problems, that's all right. But that's for those of us who want to respond, okay? So uh, we're going we're gonna to take a, a moment and pray.